0: he's controversial 20
1: 30 40 50 years from now
0: he's outspoken
1: you will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great
0: great grandkids and he tells it like it is
1: that you watched a
0: great athlete
1: named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time
0: he is the franchise shane douglas and you are listening to the triple threat podcast prepare to get your ass franchised. Welcome you into episode number 82 of the Triple Threat Podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner on the two man power trip of wrestling podcast, the one and only JP John Paz. And with a ring in my ears and a chill up my spine, I am so happy to welcome in tonight <laughs> the one and only franchise Shane Douglas coming to you live. From beautiful Pittsburgh, PA, Mr. Franchise, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, but we will not be telling the listeners what
1: we were discussing before we came on the air because God knows what might happen. Lightning could strike, an earthquake could strike, uh, I could drop dead from a heart attack, uh, or who knows, the phone could just die like in the middle of a conversation, so let's Let's go ahead and go forward with episode 82 and see if we can get through the whole thing here.
0: (laughs) Let's see if we can survive episode number 82, a very poignant episode here in our history, I guess, uh, from the recording standpoint. But uh, Shane, coming off a big episode last week where we covered your time in Continental Wrestling, a lot of fun to look back at it. But a couple days after that, my friend, we officially announced that you will be coming down to Richmond officially for TMPT Con 3. Now, I know you're supposed to be there last year when we had some scheduling conflicts, but whatever, that's all fine and dandy. It's almost like it worked out better as you and the Queen of Extreme come to Richmond on May 18th. Very happy to have you coming down.
1: The book ends of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This will be the biggest northern invasion of Virginia since that last little skirmish a couple years
0: ago. <laughs> now, this is looking, something looking forward to. It, really, yeah, looking forward to it. Oh, it's going to be awesome! But this is something that I've been looking up, and I've been trying to find something, and I can't put my finger on it. But I don't know if you and Francine ever performed together in Richmond. I couldn't find any ECW show, so I think this is a first ever no. appearance.
1: Yeah, no, the, the two of us have never performed there uh, together. Um, In fact, like my appearances in Richmond,
2: you know, I've
1: been there a handful of times in my career. Uh, Most notably, the last time when I broke my back in the uh, the Monday Night Raw taping at the Richmond. Is it called the Coliseum? Richmond Coliseum? Yes. Um, but no, Francine and I had never performed there, and I don't believe ECW had ever gone to Richmond.
0: Everything I could find, there was other spots in Virginia where you guys hit, but you never hit Richmond, which is weird because it is such a big city, especially traveling through uh, the state of Virginia, if you guys are going to North Carolina at all or if you were traveling back from someplace. So I just kind of find that I found that to be a little funny. Now, ECW did go to Richmond, but you guys were gone, or you, at least you were gone at that point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was kind of crazy. How in God's name did you guys not pass through Richmond together? I thought that was uh, – that's something special to add to TMP TCon Three, which is a 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. So we're adding a little extreme flavor to that.
1: Oh, well, we f- figured wait till the number three, right? Triple Threat uh, to make our first appearance there uh, for the last remaining survivors of the Triple Threat. Uh, and uh, looking forward, like I said, you know, Francine and I had talked about this a couple times, and I know she's excited. In fact, we get it. We get you know, sort of like giddy like kids uh, anytime we get to appear together because, you know, we don't see each other quite often. And, and, uh, you know, it had been years and years since Franny had even been on the road. You know, so uh, hopefully everybody in Richmond is getting excited about the possibility of of getting down there for us. Uh, uh, But this will be the first time, in fact, and probably the last time, uh, the only time the two of us will ever appear together in Richmond.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Francine, unfortunately, has had a pretty rough week. Her mother's not doing well, but she uh, is, Ugh. yeah, she's uh, she's been a little tied up. She's been posting a lot about it on Twitter that her mother's uh, health is not well, so she's been tending to her. But uh, I had the chance to DM back and forth with her the other day because, uh, oddly enough, a, a triple threat tie-in that my, my youngest daughter shares the same birthday as Francine. So we like, to, uh, we like to keep it nice and tight there with the ties to the triple threat. <laughs>
1: Hey, you know, I, I told you we were having, a, for all the people listening in, we had a conversation yesterday about the uh, pending tattoos that JP and, and the Chadster have to get, right? It's, uh, we're going to make, we, we're going to have the triple threat, we got to be legitimate with the triple threat, and Chris Candido, Bam Bam Bigelow, Francine, the franchise all share a certain tattoo. And, uh, I think it's time that if we're going to indoctrinate your two into the triple threat, I mean, you talk about secret societies, calling Crossbones, they got nothing on the triple threat. Uh, so if you guys want to come in, uh, you know, there's been notables like James Comey, uh, I pause.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're still, we're still
1: live. We're still on. Yeah. Still live. Okay. Good. Still live. Uh, so, but we were talking about like certain tattoos uh, for the Chadster and for the uh, JPster coming up, and who knows? By the time Richmond comes around the TMPT three uh, con three, who knows? Uh, you know, I, I have a very special one right now picked out for JP, and we just we, we discussed it, kicked it around a little bit yesterday, but it's gonna uh, be pretty cool looking on uh, by the time the uh, con rolls around.
0: Now that would be something cool. I got that would be cool. I will. I will say that. And JP getting those lips on uh, some part of his body would be pretty funny too. <laughs>
1: he, he's, he's been he's been eerily really silent. JP on that like part of the discussion. i like, are you like starting to like get the wheels turning? Like thinking hey, it could be cool.
2: Well, I was thinking. Yeah, uh, I'm you know, starting to lose the hair up top. I'm thinking, man, that Bam Bam Bigelow <laughs> tattoo actually might not be too far off. <laughs> I like it. Uh, you
0: know, and and they got the connection with Jersey with where they live. So it, it works out even better. But.
2: Of course. Asbury Park, baby. There you go. You know it.
0: You share the same zip code. But look, it's going to be a great time. And if you want to get more information, head to TMPTOfWrestling.com. And you get the link to the Brown Paper Tickets website where we're doing all of our official ticketing. And uh, we will have a lot more of the announcements coming soon. Who else will be there in attendance? And uh, maybe something special with Shane and Francine that Heroes and Legends, who's bringing Francine to the show, are going to be working on with us. So we're looking forward to that, but we'll be talking about that for the next two-plus months. So there's a lot, a lot in store, and uh, I always love promoting the uh, the hell out of these events. So we are very happy to have you uh, coming down, Shane. It's always our pleasure to, to host you and, you know, always be together, uh, one big happy family uh, down there in Richmond.
1: Who knows? Maybe we could do, like, what would it be by then? About episode 93, 92,
0: 93,
1: 94, like in there somewhere? Maybe we could do a live one from the uh, TMPT con.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully Friday night right now could be looking free. So hopefully that changes, but Friday night could be looking free, so that's not a uh, not a terrible idea, and I would love to, uh, to get rolling on that, and we can definitely look into that. But uh, a lot more to come, so we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. And TMPT Con 3, please you know, just hit us up if you want more information, but we will be talking about this for the next couple of months. It's going to be a great show. And Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, 35th anniversary. We talked about them a few weeks ago. We went all into the whole entire background of Shane's connection to Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express and the role they played early in his career. So if you want to go back and listen a few episodes back, we did cover that. And last week, covering Continental. So Shane, we're really... Hitting the old uh, ground running on a lot of those classic feuds uh, from your illustrious wrestling career, uh, but this week we're gonna we're gonna talk about some other things. If you're uh, you're ready to get rolling into it,
1: let me crack my knuckles here and think we're ready to roll and see if I can play with the mental calisthenics here.
0: <laughs> now I did. Uh, I'm sorry. I sent you this list with this very eerie uh, date in the uh, professional wrestling realm where a exorbitant amount of deaths happened on the date February 18th. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. One thing we didn't get to talk about because it happened after we recorded last week, and I know you were just with Dominic earlier tonight, was the passing of Pedro Morales. And I don't know if you got a chance yeah. to talk to Dominic about that, but, you know, there's another one of those – you know, gods who kind of like uh, laid the foundation for a lot of the superstars who uh, would come after him, you know, in Dominic's territory and Dominic's, uh, you know, glory years there in New York.
1: Yeah, you know, Dominic and I have spoken about it. And, you know, Dominic, uh, I know Dominic and, and, and Pedro weren't super close, not to there was any animosity there, but they, they just didn't know each other all that well, other than they had a mutual respect for each other. Uh, but, you know, Dominic said to me, you know, you can imagine from his generation, right? I mean, he's, you know, each one that passes le- leaves him more and more an isolated island. Uh, you know, he was, uh, he was sort of sad to hear that, you know, that Pedro had passed. For me, I had always gotten along great with Pedro. Um, not that I knew him extensively well, but I had met him multiple times throughout my career. And, you know, both during my career and then afterwards, you know, I would see him at conventions or, uh, uh, you know, different events. And, you know, Pedro and I always go all very well. Uh, you know, the seven, eight, nine times that i would ever met him and seen him and talked with him. Uh, but, you know, again, it's like you said, it's, it's like to me it more represents the, the passing of a guard, you know, where you see, you know, so many of the guys from that generation, and not just you know age related, but you know it's it, like for me, those guys will always be the guys that I looked up to, the guys that I sought to emulate. Getting into the business, uh, they were the reason I got into the business. My God, how many nights at Saturday nights at midnight I was watching uh, uh, W O R, and before that, how many nights on a Saturday night I was watching Studio Wrestling out of Pittsburgh with all of these guys. So these were the guys that I looked up to, watched as a kid, and and respected the hell out of them, and certainly sought to emulate when I got into the business. So, you know, for every time a Keller uh, Kowalski or a Bruno San Martino or a Pedro Morales uh, passes, you know, to me, it's just another reminder that time's passing by. You know, it's... Uh, uh, I've, I've said this how many times it probably bores you to hear it, but I... In my head, I still feel like a 15-year-old goofball kid. Uh, When I look in the mirror, I don't see that 15-year-old goofball kid. But in my head, that's the guy that I still feel like. And uh, so when I turn on the television and and expect to be able to turn on something like studio wrestling or, you know, W.O.R. on a Saturday night uh, and see those guys and then realizing that, you know, well, that one's gone, this one's gone, Now that another one's gone. Uh, it's just a, a poignant reminder, you know, to, you know, you, you hear it throughout your life, right? Like, life is precious, life is short. Um, and, like, for me, looking at, at these guys all going, leaving, departing, passing, whatever, you know, whatever uh, verb you want to use, uh, you know, to me, it's just a reminder that, You know that it's a—it truly is the passing of a generation because these are the guys. You know that for all the fans that are out there listening that are younger, you know you're quite familiar with WrestleManias and you're quite familiar with wrestling's uh, power and you know what wrestling has been. What you don't realize, because you're too young to realize, you weren't around. Was that these? It was on the shoulders of guys like Pedro Morales and. Bruno San Martino and Johnny Valiant and Chuck Kowalski and, 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 the guys that are departing, that, that the foundation for all that was built, uh, had those guys brought wrestling caps of the imagination of guys like me and the guys from my generation, the likelihood that you've would seen a WrestleMania is all that much more unlikely. You know, it, it literally started then. Uh, that's not taking anything away from Vince Sr. I mean, clearly he was the guy that offered the platform for that. But I can honestly say I never tuned in once to ever see Vince Sr. I tuned in to watch the, the Bruno San Martinos and the Andre Giants and the Dominic Nucci's and the superstar Billy Grahams and you know all of those guys. Those were the guys the foundation of this was built on. And everybody from my generation you know the Steve Austins and the Mick uh, Foley's and the, the franchise Shane Douglas's. We all started watching those guys. So with each one that passes on, uh, it's just a, a just a, one more reminder that none of us is here forever. Uh, none of us gets out of here alive. Uh, and uh, you know that hopefully, you know the only thing we can hey thank you to all the guys that left that foundation for us, that created the industry that gave us the opportunity. Uh, all we can hope for is that we have had the same kind of impact on some kid coming up, some smart kid from some podunk place like Pulaski Township uh, that, that I was as a kid uh, and make the impact on them. Like the Pedro Morales and Bruno's and superstars and Dominic's made on me as a kid. Uh, but you know uh, for me, Pedro was a great guy uh, always respected him and always enjoyed watching him you know passing up just another great that's just uh dims the light on professional wrestling just a little bit each time one these guys passes on
0: yeah, absolutely the first real you know television stars in the the late in the mid to late seventies where People were really starting to branch out into the uh, you know the cable world, and you could start to see you know wrestling from the Capitol Center. You could see wrestling up in Boston. You could see right. wrestling in different arenas, and those matches had Pedro Morales a huge star. Whether or not he was getting you know the big push at that point, he still had the foundation laid where you read his name in the magazines, you saw his pictures, and uh, they kept him very strong for a long time. But You know, I got to say it was something that JP and myself kind of snickered back and forth because JP had been trying to get him on the podcast for a a couple of years. I mean, we were trying everything we could, but I guess his health had deteriorated to the point where, you know, he wasn't really interested in talking and even trying to come up with some creative signing uh, alternatives, you know, wasn't really going to be in the cards. And, uh, you know, obviously the WWE is going to kind of make mention to the passing of somebody they had a large connection with. But let's be honest, I'm going to put him in the Ivan Koloff class. They have completely ignored him for the last 20 plus years. I don't know what it is. Right. It's the same thing with Dominic that he could sit a half seat away from Dominic and ignore him. Pedro Morales in their hall of fame uh was there in the mid 80s whether he was you know backstage or he was doing spanish commentating he was always kind of in the mix but then just all of a sudden was gone and written out of history but then you know they're saddened to hear of his passing too little too late in my point of view
1: i i couldn't agree more you know it's uh you know we've had this talk ad nauseum about the the hall of fame and all the rest of it and you know to me i I, I stand by what I've always said. I there I could no, I could not fathom accepting an invitation to something that I really never had a part of in the company, and yet for the guys like Dominic and Pedro and Ivan and so many others from that generation that were the generation that inspired me and guys of my generation to go into the industry. Um no thanks it's you know, it ain't that alluring to me uh you know it just it, it just isn't uh but to guys like that like I, I remember talking to ivan and uh how hopeful he was how uh uh excited he was at the prospect of being in the hall of fame and I guess as you get older and you realize time is shorter, uh, that might become an important aspect. Um, but, you know, just to see how many of those guys have been overlooked, ignored, denied, uh, and God only knows what the reasoning would be, right? I mean, it's, you know, you stole my parking spot 40 years ago, and now I'm going to really hold it against you, that kind of craziness. Uh, but, you know, that really is is the only thing that, you, that I can put on it, you know, because I, especially with Ivan, I had spoken to Bruno. Uh, I had spoken to Dominic. I had spoken to everybody I knew from that generation that was there at that time and asked them, do you know of any reason? Is there some, did, did Ivan do something to Junior that, you know, would, so pissed him off that for three, nearly four decades, he'd hold it against them. And all, all of them told me the same thing, Dominic included. They're unaware of anything, any issues that went on between them. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, like you said with, with uh, Pedro, you know, it's, uh, yeah, they inducted him to the Hall of Fame and, you know, he did some announcing and then all of a sudden he was persona non grata there. And, you know, you have to, at least, I'm just a curious person by nature. I want to know why. You know, it, you know, Vince doesn't seem to be shy on camera. He seems to like to hear himself talking. So if if that's the case, then please come out and tell all of us. You guys who grew up and watch these guys. Explain to us why you wouldn't at least acknowledge Dominic at Bruno's funeral. Why you wouldn't. Invite Pedro Morales back from Undernet Raw or Wrestlemania. Why you wouldn't admit someone like Ivan Koloff and with all of his accomplishments to the Hall of Fame. Uh, that, that'd be a video I'd pay to see from WWE. I would pay to see that one because I'd be very curious to find out the reasoning to why. I mean, unless you're shy. you know. Vince looks like he could be a sort of shy type of guy, right?
2: <laughs> when it comes
1: to truth, I guess <laughs> the truth the truth has a way of making a lot of people shy. Right? Like, you know, maybe I don't want to talk about this right now, so we'll just move on to the next subject. But uh, uh, I, I guess when you're a billionaire, and you can control the uh, narrative. You can decide the things you'll talk about and not talk about. But I'm I, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here and show you how prescient I am. I've got the ESP for the future. I bet when XFL losses next year, Vince is willing to go on camera and talk about a whole lot of things. I bet at WrestleMania this couple months from now, he's going to do the same type of thing. Probably in a few Monday Night Raws between now and then, he might get on camera and talk. But for some reason, there are certain things that he doesn't like to talk about. For you fans out there listening, run into Vinny Mac someplace, ask him. Have your camera ready, so you can get it. You might have a, you might be able to get something on cam, on, on tape, uh, on video. That's pretty valuable because there are people like me that are dying to know the reasoning as to why Vince Mann has this hard on for so many guys from that generation that created the industry that gave the platform to WrestleMania. Just ask him.
0: Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, it's that whole group of guys that you know his dad revered that he basically he, he didn't want anything to do with them. And whether or not they didn't kiss the ring, you know, when he took over and purchased the company, uh, we know that there was obviously, there was, there was a tight-knit group that did stay loyal to Junior, you know, your Gorilla Monsoons and your Arnold Scollins, you know, they, they sure. did stay loyal. But, you know, you look at your Bruno and Pedro and Dominic, you see these guys that, you know, were in the Vince Sr. camp, you know, when he took over, and uh, they kind of got uh, eventually written out of history, you know, and it's it takes a lot to get them back. Obviously, we saw what it took for Bruno to get back. Uh, it took a lot of zeros <laughs> from what I, everybody understands, but, uh, you know, it's just something. Yeah, what are you going to do? It's When he decides he wants you around, he wants you around. But I want to get to this list here before we get into the other stuff in the second half of the show. Um, so... The date, February 18th, is just, it's a a very big oddity here in professional wrestling. And I don't want to be morbid and just keep talking about what?
1: Is that James Comey's birthday?
0: (laughs) It's the day before Francine's birthday. Hold hold on,
1: hold on, hold on. Pregnant pause, pregnant pause. Okay, go ahead, continue.
0: All right, we're still on the air again. So, uh, yeah, it's (laughs) just, it's not to be morbid on this show. It just happened to be the topic. But this just caught my eye, and and JP sent it to me, too. I mean, the amount of professional wrestlers that passed away on the date February 18th is astounding. And whether that's some kind of conspiracy theory or just a dink, I mean, this is just—this is an an outstanding list. Chick Garibaldi, Mildred Burke, Kerry Von Erich, Eddie Gilbert— uh, Slick Robbie D, who unfortunately, I'm sorry, I don't know who Slick Robbie D was. Uh, Tony Altamori, who was the partner of Captain Lou Albano and the Sicilians, uh, Nelson Fraser, otherwise known as Mabel, and Ivan Koloff, all passed away on the day February 18th. It's like it's just an astronomical amount of guys for one date. and I don't know. I don't know. It just stood out. What do you? <laughs> what? How can you even we put this into words? This is just a weird oddity.
1: Uh, well, the strange thing is that I wasn't familiar at all with that. That was the first when you sent that. That was the first I never heard that. Um, but the the many people that I knew on that list on that date, uh, as I started thinking back about it, I knew it was right around this time of year. You know, I I, I didn't remember. I'm looking. I remember my own birthday anymore. But uh, you know, I remember Eddie. Dying early in the year, uh, being like in the winter months. Um, I remember, uh, obviously Ivan. You know, I had just seen Ivan not long before that, Um, and then I verified. You know, went back and looked at the dates, and uh, you know, you have to admit it's odd, right? It's three hundred sixty-five days in the year, so that you would have. A specific date that would have that number and volume of guys that, that weren't just guys in the business. It wasn't just some guys that owned a pair of boots and tights, right? And then, you know, had done a few things in the business. A lot of these guys were top guys, um, you know, noteworthy guys, guys that had left, had left even though, like, like in Eddie Gilbert's case, died at a very young age, but left a legacy that you know, what, 25, 27 years later, people were still talking about Eddie Gilbert. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, so for a guy that was five, 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 six, five, seven, you know, one of the biggest guy in the world, but to have left a legacy that people are still talking this much later, uh, I think is impressive, but it's, it, it is, you know, it's, as you guys know, like when you start to look at stuff like this, the, these types of things intrigue me, right? You know, that here's the date, you know, so if, if somebody else can send me a thing and say, okay, on, well, you know, okay, February 18th, well, here's February 17th, and here's February 19th, as many top guys died on those days as died on February 18th, and maybe maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I must admit that in looking at that list, it does seem like there are an awful lot of top names, big names of the wrestling business on that list. Uh, you know, it makes you scratch your head. You know, it's, it, it, I'm not a big believer in co- coincidences, you know, especially to that degree, right? You have all these names of these guys that all died on this date. Uh, you know, the, inside the business, we always say it's a small fraternity. You know, and, and it really is. If you look at the overall population, how many guys uh, can you say that were noteworthy performers in the professional wrestling industry? Uh, it, it's it, compared to the overall population, it's a very small number. So when you start to see that many people on a one specific date, it's just, you know, one of those things we scratch at, like, you know, if anybody else is like me, you look and see every year, like on your birthday, Right. What other stars share my birthday? You know, and you see one or two names. If suddenly you looked on there and you saw thirty names that were like, "Holy shit! All these top stars have the same birthday I have." I, you know, it, would, it would obviously catch your attention, you know. So it's—I think it's noteworthy, and it's one of those things that just scratch your head and—and and as much as you'd like to believe something else in the conspiracy theories, right? It's—you start to chalk it up as. It's just, like you said, a but is it coin Or is there something bigger at play? Is somebody knocking off these wrestlers? I don't know. I mean, it, it's it, it, uh, it's just one of those things that really makes you go, hmm. You know, it's one of those little trivia tidbits, right? Uh, at, at, at very least, and at very worst, uh, you know, it's it, it, It makes you scratch your head and say,
0: That's odd. And the day before, February 17th, is actually the anniversary of the passing of Mike Awesome. So, I mean, a day separated (laughs) between, you know, that it's just, it's astounding that they could be so close together.
1: Missed it by that
0: much. Yeah, right? I mean, (laughs) my God, he was, uh, you know, I mean, if it was a conspiracy, couldn't they hold out for a couple more (laughs) hours and get him on the 18th? But. You know, the ones that really stand out to me, obviously we've talked about Eddie Gilbert the last two retrospective shows in great detail. So we're not going to go too much into him and you just elaborated again on, you know, the impact he would have had, only 33 years old. Really, I mean, he did so much in his late 20s into his early 30s, like the best really could have been yet to come, even though he had done so many great things up to 33. Uh, We've talked about Kerry Von Erich in great detail. Some of our best YouTube clips, that we have, or are you talking about your relationship with Kerry and, and his death and his final match that you were there for, and I mean, just you know, the, the stories about Kerry Von Erich live on in infamy. We had the chance to talk to Brian Adias earlier, you know, late last year, and just talking about the relationship that they had and learning more about Kerry. One of those things, you know, it, it's another 33 years old. He had an amazing career up to 33. Where could he have gone after that? We'll never know. But two names on here that really stand out to me, obviously, was Ivan and your relationship with Ivan and, and Ivan's later years. But how about Nelson Frazier, a.k.a. Mabel? Because Nelson Fraser's widow sued the WWE for wrongful death and lost. It was dismissed. I mean, it was just, it was thrown away like it was yesterday's garbage. Her and Matt, uh, Matt Bourne's family, same time, uh, wrongful death. But talk about Mabel, if you can, Guys, you guys passed each other in the WWF. I don't know if you did beforehand, but yeah. obviously impressive with the size, and, and he was a mountain of a man. But i to talk about your experiences oh, yeah. there with Mabel, if you can.
1: I didn't know him all that well, other than, you know, he seemed like a good guy. Uh, yeah, he was one of those guys at my dressing room, and you'd watch him on camera, you know, and he'd give that snarl, right? And, you know, like you said, he was standing next to him. He was pretty big. You yeah, that was like a common thing in WWE, right? I mean, like, you know, stay, you know at six foot one and 250 pounds, you were like the, the, the little kid in the dressing room. Uh, it was truly the land of the Giants. And, you know, Nelson fit in, into that, but he was uh, in the back. Uh, you know, the type of guy that, like, to the best of my memory, was always, you know, smiling and laughing in the dressing room uh almost like a big kid you know type of thing uh but he was a very very big guy you know and again that was such a commonality in wwe uh you know it 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 didn't strike you you know when you first go there you know it's sort of breathtaking you spend your life you know trying to grow in the the gym and you know be your best then you walk into the to the Dressing room, you know, you, you feel like you're a three year old kid standing there because you're around giants. um uh, But he was a very disarming guy in the sense that when you're around him, you know, he didn't, because of that physical size, have an intimidation factor about him. You know, uh, and I, I think it's partly because of his personality, the way he was outwardly, you know, that he, you know, in the back, I say, always, when I, think of him in my head, I, I, I see him smiling. You know, he's always smiling and goofing and cutting up and, uh, uh, you know, always quick to say hello, that type of thing. You know, just a very disarming guy. Um, but he was involved in the infamous uh, uh, Bill Watts massacre. Right the the, the the Bill Watt segment that Bill was trying to, you
2: know, Bill was
1: big on the idea of heels having heat, um, believing, and I, I agree. Always have with his assessment that heels. When you have a territory where heels have heat. People will then pay to come out and see their babyface heroes because they feel that without them being there, that that ba- their babyface hero has no chance, uh, and on the night that we did this, I, I, I believe it was Lansing, Michigan. I may be right. It was Michigan somewhere. It was a Michigan town. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Lansing. I may be wrong on that, but I remember being in Michigan where Bill Watts had called all of us into a room uh, the night where we laid all the baby faces out. Uh, I picked Shawn Michaels up and gave him a vertical... Suplex face first onto the stairs, uh, and it was a massacre. You know, we had gone out, and, and the, the the I remember the building being in stunned silence, uh, all be, all except for the woman who tried to attack me over the railing. Um, there, there, because it was so odd in the WWE to see that. You know, you, you Vincent Man just does not believe in leaving the baby faces live, and. Bill came into that night. You know, we always call it the Bill Watts Massacre, and I did the Bill Watts Massacre because he had done something that I don't think you've seen since, uh, where the fans were left jaw-dropped. You know, they, they didn't expect it, didn't see it coming. And in my experience from wrestling booking, uh, that is what draws. You know, when you can leave a, a, an arena full of people with their mouths hanging open, shocked. You're on the right path. You know, now, now you can start to draw money beyond that because that babyface no longer seems invincible. When a babyface is invincible, let's face it, it's, if your babyface hero is bulletproof, invincible, tougher than everybody, better wrestler than everybody, better looking than everybody, gets better promos than everybody, at some point that that character becomes unlikable. he's tougher than everybody better looking than everybody faster than everybody tougher than everybody what's what's there to like about a character like that? you know that's uh, that pretty much is in my definition a heel uh, so when you you make somebody impervious like I, like I used to tell Taz, there's a reason there's kryptonite in the Superman comic books because without kryptonite, it's a two-page comic book every month. Here's Superman, here's this month's villain, Superman wins. Uh, there's There's got to be a chink in the armor of the babyface that makes the babyface human. If the babyface is human and not impervious, now... That babyface hero must get my support. I must be there to support that babyface. Without that, uh, if the babyface is all the things I said above—invincible in so many words—well, he doesn't need my help. He's going to win, or she's going to win anyway. Doesn't matter. Um, And so you know, going back to the Bill, Bill, Bill Watts Massacre, that's what Bill was trying to achieve with that. It wasn't to hurt any babyface. It was to elevate the heels in and, and a company where babyfaces were routinely put over just because they're babyfaces. And to throw a curveball to the audience, uh, to see how much Vince adhered to that philosophy, it wasn't long after that that Bill Watts got fired for the night of the Bill Watts Massacre. Um, but go back and watch the footage with Nelson, uh, with me, and, and you know all the heels that made the baby faces out that night. Go back and watch that footage and watch the audience. And then ask yourself, when's the last time you saw that kind of reaction in the WWE audience?
0: Yeah, that was huge. And if anybody wants a real point of reference from that angle that came out of that, it was you attacked Shaw Michaels. And it was also when uh, Mabel broke the Undertaker's face and the Undertaker ended up having to wear a mask for a, a certain amount of time, which legitimately did break a bone in the Undertaker's face, even though that was supposed to be the gimmicked part of the story. And that kind of is where, you know, I, I also see some parallels with you and Nelson Frazier is that you guys uh, had a common dislike for a certain group at some point, and And... Uh, they also had a certain dislike for him. There was a, a tour that his partner Mo had told us, Bobby Horn told us about a few years ago where he was, ga- uh, uh, Nelson just was absolutely, you know, he was out of it um, in terms of his, you know, stamina and not being able to perform in a ring that night. And, you know, the a certain heartbreak kid kind of got in his face about it and it was a whole thing. So I think that kind of carried on. And then he had a, a little tip with Kevin Nash about their SummerSlam match. And, yeah, the cards weren't really necessarily there for uh, for Big Mabel, and he had a couple of ins and outs, but you know some common ground there for the two of you. But that was a great, great moment in that 1995 year was that uh, that massacre, you uh, the Bill Watts massacre. I like the name of that. The night
1: the Bill Watts massacre, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it, had they followed through on that uh, instead of just. You know, going to the failsafe. safe Well, we don't like that, so let's just fire the guy that came up with it. Had they gone through with that, I'm pretty certain that there would have been money drawn off of that because the, the fans were shocked. There was nobody in the building expected that. Uh, and I remember as we were standing out there after we had done it, and there was this moment where we were all standing in the aisleway looking at the carnage. You could feel the energy palpable in the room. Uh, the fans were there was a stunned silence and a, a simmering anger in the audience. That's when you can draw money. And uh, you know, again, I'm no I'm no authority on WWE. I don't watch stuff in a long, long time. But uh, other than a snippet here or there, uh, but you know, that's in my experience, that's when you can draw money. When you when the heels have done that to an audience and left their mouths hanging open, that's when that's when money can be drawn.
2: Right, just changing gears a little bit and getting kind of with some recent wrestling, some current wrestling, if you will. I just wanted to kind of touch on just a couple topics. First thing that comes to my mind is this Kofi Mania thing and Kofi Kingston. I don't know if you've seen a lot of this online or people pushing for it, but he uh, beat Daniel Bryan two weeks ago, two weeks in a row excuse me on smackdown and dana Bryan pinned him at the elimination chamber uh, as they were the last two guys on the pay-per-view great match great things going on and and it was funny that so many wrestlers and and people that follow wrestling all those other stuff saying how great kofi is even though they've had him basically be a joke for the last like 10 years and he was doing a mid-card comedy act and he's kind of a joke with the pancakes Mm -hmm. and the new, new day but now all of a sudden they're buying him as a main eventer and they want him to win the title and they want it to be WrestleMania. Do you think that it, there's a point when it goes too far as far as, okay, we made this guy a joke for more than five years, more than almost 10 years. Isn't there a point in that fake Jamaican and all sorts of stuff, isn't there a point where it's almost like you went too far, you can't bring the guy back and you really can't make him a viable main eventer?
1: Well, I mean, again, the fans become the the ultimate uh, decider of that, right? So... Uh... You know, if you know, I, I read the articles online and, and seen the things, and, and, and I've, what I've seen of coffee he's impressed me for some time. That you know, that bounced him around in these underneath, you know, immeasurable type of positions, and yet he seems to always pull through. And that, to me, you know, is an indicator of a star. When you have somebody that can do that regardless of where they are on the card or what their position is or not the semi main or not the main, uh, but somehow they are able to get the fans talking much like Daniel Bryan did a few years ago. Uh, you know, that that's a guy that clearly has something. Uh, but my question would be like, again, it's like what comes first the chicken to the cart, the chicken or the horse, right? So I mean, the chicken or the egg. i get my, my, before I get my, uh, uh, phrases right there. Um, so what comes first? Was Coffee, uh Kingston, was he a star before they started doing this, or has he only become a star recently, the chicken or the egg scenario? So uh, my guess is that if he was able to do this over the long run, especially not in a position to draw where they're putting on these Multiple different angles and different characters and up and down the card, Uh, and yet somehow after all that, he's impressed to the point where the fans are clamoring, uh, apparently, for him to be in a in a a role, uh, a prominent role. Then you know all the more kudos to him because that means he's bucking the trend of the company, right? You know the company has other ideas to keep him in a certain place, and yet. The audience is now taking over and, you know, mostly a different Dan O'Brien, demanding more for coffee. So, you know, kudos to him for that. Um, it, you know, that that is, is, like from a performer's point of view, that is where it's difficult, where you realize that you're not figured in and, uh, you know, you're not in a prominent role. but you go out there and wrestle your ass off to the best of your ability, because you know, it's, uh, you know, because the the opportunity may come tomorrow, because that's just the kind of athlete you are, you know. Fill in the blank of the because, you know. I'm sure there's a million different answers to that. But that coffee Kingston has been able to draw the attention of the fans that long after having been in a non-prominent role, uh, you know, up again up and down the cards. So that tells you this kid's got star quality. Uh, you know, because that bleeds through every time. It doesn't matter if you're in a shitty angle, a great angle, the preliminary angle, the main event angle. If you can draw the audience's attention, command the audience's attention to the point where they say, we want that guy instead of the guy we cheered and puffed for three years ago, four years ago. Uh, that's uh hard thing to just nonchalantly write off. Uh, So, you know, it it seems to me in the things that I read, that's where the audience is right now with the uh, WWE audience, that they see him not as a part of a six-man or part of a team situation. They see him as an individual uh, ready for the rub and ready for the push. So, you know, it's... uh, I'd be willing to digress to the people that have watched consistently again, I don't. I mean, and that's not a slap word. I just... And we've talked about how many times on this podcast I, I, I try and I just cannot dig my teeth into it. There's nothing that really interests me. very little, I should say, that very that interests me there. But the fact that coffee has been able to commandeer the imagination of the fans through all of that, and again, up and down the cart. You know, the, the nobody spot on the card, the mid card, the uh, lower main event card, the main event card, uh, regardless of where you are on that on that pantheon, that the fans are still clamoring to see you in a prominent role. So that's I, I think that's much more a testament to coffee's abilities than it is to the writers or to anything we could say about
2: it. The one thing that kind of irks me about it, just in a, in a sense, just because all these, quote-unquote, you know, smart fans or, or these guys that cover wrestling or these wrestlers, they don't realize this little, tiny, tiny little fact that, they're, that I know you're very familiar with because you've done it a lot. And I know uh, this used to happen to Bret Hart all the time. And obviously now Daniel Bryan is kind of falling victim of it. Guy is so damn good in the ring, people don't realize, not necessarily he's carrying the guy, but he is so good; he's making the other guy look so good, and the people don't even realize it. They're, they think Kofi's great. I was watching Daniel Bryan; said, "Wow, Daniel Bryan is, is is just making Kofi look like an even bigger star." Yeah,
1: completely possible. Again, I, having not seen it, I really can't say. But you know, I, I think it's it, to me it's one of those things where the ends justifies the means uh, in wrestling, where you put two wrestlers in there because it's basically it takes two to dance, tango, right? So, mm-hmm. you, know, you could be the greatest wrestler on the planet, you know, but, you, you know, you put somebody out there with a the broomstick, you know, we've all we all heard the proverbial, you know, Ric Flair can make a broomstick with his star, right? Uh, I mean, we to bet that Ric Flair probably couldn't draw with a broomstick, <laughs> uh, just saying. And that's no slapping Rick. That's just a, a just a, a statement of a fact. You know, so, Again, going back to coffee, uh, Kingston. You know the fact that he's been able to commandeer this kind of reaction, uh, having come from positions on the card that weren't prominent, uh, that tells me that he's capturing the at least the uh, the imagination of the fans, and uh, that is not an easy thing to do, especially when you're not in a prominent role you know, i.e. all the writers have written all these great storylines just to focus and throw the showcase on you. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case with Coffee. Uh, you know, it, it seems to me they could potentially have another uh, star on their hands. You know, and, and as you can see with Daniel Bryan, having something happen, and I, I despise using the word because I'm so sick of hearing it, but having something happen organically like the fans just latching on to a particular name or wrestler or talent and clamoring for that Uh, it beckons back to what we saw with Daniel Bryan and it makes it begs the question like why are the fans clamoring for this one person or this you know one deal and uh, I don't think wrestling fans just sit back and say, hey, it's clamorous for this guy to be politically correct or, or whatever. I think it's a genuine want, desire by the audience to see that particular person in a more prominent role. So uh, if that's the case, then you know that'll play out as we watch it in real time. The, the luxury for Vince is that he has the, his audience, his audience talking about somebody else, anybody else, because, you know, as we're seeing there, we're seeing a lot of defections and, you know, a lot of the WWE talent uh, opting not to re-sign their contracts and try their hands with AEW, uh, you know. So, you know, it's, again, one of those things where you shrug your shoulders and think, you know, for a guy like Coffee, that, you know, hopefully this works out to be his time. You know, because, uh, you know, he's obviously been loyal. He's been there for how long? And, uh, you know, comparing against all the things we've seen and we've talked about in the podcast, it ain't easy to find that person down the card that can commandeer the upper card uh, for their own benefit. It's just not a very lovely thing that you see very
2: often. Now, it, it is that time again. A-F-A-S franchise. Anything. We got an email from Matthew V. sent it in. Hey, Shane, how's it going? I know you guys talk about KISS a lot on the show, and I know you're a big fan. Just curious, what oh, yeah. is your favorite album and why?
1: Uh, I, mean, I get asked this question a lot, and I always go back and forth. Uh... Love Gun is, a, is a, I, I really dig Love Gun because it was you know like the first big Kiss album. Uh, it wasn't the first album I got. My mother had bought me uh, Kiss Originals, which was the com- compilation of the first three albums: uh, Kiss, Hotter uh, Than Hell, and Rest to Kill. Uh, but Love Gun to me was uh yeah, there on so many levels. A as a kid, I was thirteen or fourteen when I got it. Uh, you know, looking at the very erotic cover, right? By then standards, not today's standards. You know, you're looking at these guys that, you know, have a very superhero appearance to them, you know, and the outfits and the makeup. and But then there's this sort of, like, there's an eroticism to them being surrounded on this semi-circular stage of all these women also in makeup and very, shall we say, alluring poses like at their feet, right? And what guy doesn't dream of a day where he's got all these beautiful women, uh, you know, in these alluring positions at their feet? I It was a very fascinating uh, cover to me. It just drew my attention, and I stared at for hours, you know, hours and hours looking at. But, you know, it, on the spot tonight, you know, saying, like, what's your favorite album? You know, it's it, it, it's sort of cheap to say destroyer because you know destroyer being their biggest album uh but really in hindsight destroyer was the most unkiss like album uh up to that time you know in the 70s when they were the super group it was overly produced uh, i don't want to say overly produced it was slickly produced and had a, a very polished sound to it that wasn't typical for kiss uh, you know for me now sitting here looking back the thing that I dislike the most about the first three albums is what I think today I think most about the first three albums
2: there is a
1: uh, a lack uh, I'm choose my words carefully there, there's a a in professionalism on those first three albums uh, in the past I've heard them call it uh, thin tin, tinny sounding you know there was like a it, if you go back and listen to those first three albums as produced and released they have a very unpolished sound to them almost like a garage band you know that put their you know set up their instruments in a garage closed the door and recorded it at the time as a kid, listening, growing up, and listening to those, I, I I didn't like them. I loved the songs on them, but I wasn't I wasn't a fan of the sound. Today, looking back and listening to those albums, to me, there's a there is a, uh, a seminal quality about those albums that, without all that polish and all that flash and circumstance, that we knew would become Kiss. There's something so raw about those first three albums that really draws my attention today. Uh, I'm sure a lot of that is based on the fact that we've got some of Kiss's all-time biggest hits coming from those albums, right? Obviously, Rock and Roll All Night, uh, Got to Choose, uh, Firehouse, uh, uh, Strutter, Cold Gin, 100,000 Years. I mean, there's so many songs that come from those albums And even though at the time I didn't appreciate them because the way they were produced, in hindsight, the songwriting on those albums is stellar. Stands out. You know, you you rarely see albums that have that number of hits on them uh, today by today's standards. But that rawness that was produced by the you know not having those polished uh, production qualities to it that's what really catches me today so my answer would be to, to the end to the question would be today in 2019 very different than something i would have said in 1977 about those first three albums but to me those first three albums as poorly produced as they were and i still believe that they were poorly produced as far as you know the uh the sound of those albums they still stand up inclusive of that lack of production value those albums still stand up today and and really do stand the test of time you can listen to those first three albums and even with that crappy production quality uh those songs stand out but that's that really to me is the nature of great music you know it doesn't matter how slickly something's produced a good song's a good song and you know a qualified ear can hear right through something that's poorly produced and that's what I think you get with the first three Kiss albums.
0: And do you want to uh, you want to have an eerie <laughs> eerie close to the show? You ready? The first yes. Kiss album, okay, released February eighteenth, nineteen seventy four. So there's February eighteenth striking again.
1: There it is. I knew it. I knew it's James Comey's birthday, isn't it? <laughs>
0: I've been waiting for that electric shock to come through and uh, scare the shit out of me, but uh, yeah. So there you go, February eighteenth, <laughs> a day that'll live in infamy in the wrestling world. But obviously, everybody that we mentioned on this show uh, gone, but never ever forgotten. And um, happy we we're able to talk about some of those names and uh, kind of get your take on this uh, this kind of <laughs> this interesting little push that we're seeing of Kofi Kingston. And what's going on, Another, you know, an underrated name there in the business getting a shot. But let's see what happens next. And Shane, we announced at the beginning of the show that you're coming down to TMPT Con 3, the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette on May 18th in Richmond, Virginia. A reunion of sorts for you as well, but also a first time appearance with the Queen of Extreme Francine in the great city of Richmond, Virginia. Very happy to have you and everybody who wants to find out about that show can head over to tmptofwrestling.com dot com for more information. Also on our website, you'll be able to get all the links for this podcast, the Two Man Power Trip podcast. You can get the video links via YouTube and everything going on in the world of the Two Man Power Trip. We actually we also have a convention going on in uh, WrestleMania weekend uh, in New Jersey, the day of WrestleMania, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. <clears throat> But, I digress. <laughs> we'll move forward. And also send you over to ProWrestlingTees.com is where you can get the official franchise Shane Douglas t-shirts, the classic logo, the Triple Threat logo. You can get all of that at ProWrestlingTees.com slash franchise SD. And if you haven't gone over there already, you're obviously, uh, you know, you're not the brightest bulb in the, uh, in the lamp. But we, we'll let you listen next week for episode number 83. But Shane... I know you're gearing up and getting ready to hit the road. So what's going on in the world of the franchise this weekend?
1: Hey, this weekend, uh, I'm going to go back and sort of reconnect back to the future, right? So this weekend, going to be in Orlando, uh, Florida, this coming Saturday. Going to be on a a Frank Goodman show. Now, Frank Goodman uh, was somebody who, you know, we used to work for quite often back in the ECW days. So looking forward to getting back to Orlando this weekend. And other than that, yeah, the rest of the weekend is spent with the uh, the franchise boys, uh, franchise uh, junior number one, franchise junior number two this weekend. But Saturday night in Orlando, Florida, on the Frank Goodman show. So looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, my uh, my uncle lives down there in Florida, and actually sent me the uh, the poster for it uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's cool to see that you're heading down to uh, to Florida, to sunny Florida. Say hi to Mickey and uh, yes. say hi to Mickey, Minnie, and Goofy for me. Hey, I guess you can call us uh, f- a little franchise number three and four, huh? We can, can we be added to that list at some point? <laughs> Junior
1: franchise three or four. <laughs>
0: um, it's a
1: trust me. Uh, there's nothing little about the about the boys. They're uh, my 13 year old, almost as tall as me, and my 17 uh, year old is considerably taller than me. So, I uh, nothing small about
0: them. Yeah, they must, uh, they take after me. You know, I'm one of those gargantuan guys that you come yeah, across. Yeah. You know, they call me the moose. Yeah, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the big moose. You know, <laughs> we, you always hear me being talked about. But that's enough out of me. Let's wrap it up here for episode 82. It was a fun one. It was an interesting one uh, in more ways than one The it's franchise. Uh, the floor is yours, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next week.
1: Hey, looking forward to it. Episode 82 now, under the belts, Look, a lot and lot of things going. on the professional wrestling business. we got new companies popping up. we got new information coming out every day. We got things going on about James Comey that we don't even talk about on this show. Next week right here at number 83, be here or get your ass franchised. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling.
2: What the world is downloading.